Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to take a look at the new Marvel film, Spider-Man Far From Home. We're also going to look at Ari Aster's Midsummer, an art house horror indie flick that just came out that you might have seen a poster for. Uh, we're also going to talk about what's coming out in the summer. Yes, July, August, September. But before we get to all that, we need to cover the news. Our first story this week, Regal Cinemas is readying their own unlimited ticket subscription program following the footsteps of companies like AMC theaters regal cinemas has decided they too want to have their own movie subscription service where you pay a monthly fee to get a handful of tickets each month and you use them at your leisure andy any hot takes on this well this is dangerously close to what we saw from movie pass which we know that was a huge disaster um but that did kind of pave the way for subscription services uh the devil is in the details uh with with this program there's going to be three tiers an 18 21 and 24 dollars per month respectively and it's going to depend a lot on location which is interesting so if you're in a more metropolitan area you're going to be on the more expensive tier than if you were in a cheaper area. And if you cross over, you're probably going to be upcharged. It's also interesting that you have to pay for the entire year up front. Um, so it's, and it's much, much more expensive than the other, um, sorry, movie pass was. So it's, it's a, again, it's unlimited, but there's a lot of uh, caveats. Right. Just a, a little bit of nickel and diming, I think. Uh, it's worth mentioning Regal Cinemas is along the lower half of the United States. There's two in the northern half. Otherwise, they're going to be in Texas. There's a couple out in California. There's one in Florida. There's one in Georgia. That's about it. There's not that many of these things. They're not quite a national chain, but they're pretty big. And even they are trying to jump into movie subscription services for tickets. I I don't know how I feel about it because it seems to be working for AMC. They've got their Stubbs program, and it's like $20 a month, and you can go see, what, two or three movies a week or something. I'm not even sure how it works, but that, it seems to be successful and it's cool to see other people following in that stead. But ultimately I don't know if this is going to do anything for them. It's a yearly fee right up front. You got to pay annual and you have to, to pick a price plan and it depends on which theater you go to. It's complicated. And if there's anything people don't want nowadays, it's complicated. I think the, um, the, the proximity of the theater will have a lot to do with it. I know that's the main reason I don't jump on a, any of these rewards programs is because I can't, I can't see everything I need to see all at one theater. Sometimes I go to AMC, sometimes I go to Cinemark, sometimes I go to Texas Theater, sometimes I go to Alamo. No one place can, can satisfy those demands. So it, if you have a Regal Cinema right next door, it might make a lot of sense. If you don't, you know too bad and it's a funny story i actually had one of these right next door but they close uh, for another smaller movie chain to take over their building uh i don't know what that says about regal but what i do know is these prices are, are, are a lot currently what they're set at annually right each one of these tiers they have three uh to go see a few movies each month and get a 10 percent cash reduction on concessions and a couple other you know features of regal cinema exclusivity you're going to be paying something like 288 dollars 252 dollars or 216 for the lowest tier i'm not sure what exactly is in each one of those but even still 200 bucks up front almost 300 in in, in the case of the former uh that's a lot to, to ask people to go to the movies throughout the year mm -hmm. you know what i mean that that feels like a lot no one has two hundred dollars. No, um, but I do. But I do think I do get the idea that it, you know once you pay your fee up front. I mean, it is unlimited. So if you after you get a few minutes removed from that initial fee, you can start to feel like you know you're just going for free, 
which is, I, I think, kind of the idea. You you will begin to kind of feel the value. Yeah, and I think a big a big hurdle of services like this is like, where do you even sign up? You know, I think a lot of people go to the movies because they don't have streaming services. Maybe they don't have internet for it, or they're technologically challenged. I don't know, but I think a lot of people go to the movies because movies are simple. And when you talk about a service like this, it's a plan. And what do you go to the box office and buy this? Do I have to get online and do it? Well, how do I? get my credit card like I worry the, the main audience of a program like this won't be able to access it because it's either too complicated or it's just too much work um, right. people like stuff easy nowadays that's why social media works so well it's also aimed at people that frequent the movies a lot like you and I um, if you're going two to four times a month this is who they're after but the average person goes to maybe one movie every other month so I'm, I'm not real sure about like their pool that they're going after well, speaking of movies every other month, uh, Netflix has been putting out a lot of big-budget films in the last year or two, and following a recent announcement, they've, they've decided that they're going to cut back on huge spendings for Netflix films. The movie they cited in here is a movie called Triple Frontier. It's on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, we covered it on this show about 20 or 30 episodes back. Uh, it's okay. So it's Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaacs. It's all right. And a lot of homes watched it, but it didn't quite get the numbers they're looking for. Andy, what do you know about this story? Uh, so this is interesting, and we do have an update, which I'll uh, kind of say at the end of this. Uh, this was a very expensive movie, and they've had a lot of very expensive properties. Um, and it's really hard to know what Netflix looks for and what constitutes success, because they don't release any of their data, which is very smart in a lot of ways. Um, but th- what this article says is that they want to focus on getting subscribers and keeping subscribers and and programming that does that. So they're not going to be as interested in being an indie, a home for indie films or going after awards, allegedly. Um, so it shows a, sh- a shift in kind of what they're going to do. Now, with that said, there was an update to this article on July 8th that says uh, Netflix chief uh, content officer said, we're incredibly cr- proud of Triple Frontier, one of our most popular original films. 63 million member households have now watched this movie since it launched in March. Yeah, I, I agree. And and you're, like, you're right. That's one of those things Netflix does. They don't release their data. But one thing they did say in response to this is they said, uh, the company uses viewing relative to cost as one measure of success and is always looking for ways to get better. That makes sense. The more people watch a product, the more successful that product is. That that totally makes sense to me. For what it's worth, a lot of people watched this movie, but there's got to be some other data, something else they're looking at and saying, you know what, this this was not a good bet for us. And if you're just hearing about it for the first time on this podcast, I you might agree. You might be inclined to agree, I think. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what what some of the other movies that have such a big budget. Uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, which is supposed to be a big movie, big awards contender, come out towards the end of the year, had a hundred and fifty million dollar bu- um, budget, went way over budget. So we'll see how that film is received and what it does, what it does and doesn't do for Netflix. Yes, that's Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, starring Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, and they do that de-aging thing, so it's supposed to look young. Supposedly, Joe Pesci's in it, too. I don't know. I'm looking forward to that movie. Anyway, uh, one more story this week. Uh, speaking of streaming services, Warner Media is launching a streaming service called HBO Max. This is Warner Media, who is, of course, Warner Brothers, who owns a ton of properties, and now they're launching a new version of their HBO streaming service, Kinda. This is going to be HBO <laughs> plus a few things. Andy, can you tell us about that? Right. So this story just dropped this afternoon, um, and it's called HBO Max. Um, 
and it's going to launch in in spring of 2020. And so it's going to kind of be a takeoff of HBO. It will include HBO, but a bunch of other TV program, including, and this is a lot, uh, New Line, DC Entertainment, CNN, TNT, TBS, True TV, The CW, Turner Classic Movies, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Crunchyroll, Rooster Teeth, Looney Tunes, and more. So, so it's huge. Right, plus original movies and series. And in case that was all a lot to come at you, you've got some big-budget television, things like HBO, and supposedly Cinemax might be involved in this. You've got regular television channels from cable like CNN, TNT, and TBS, and The CW, which is a big one. And you've got... Uh, children's programming with Cartoon Network. You've got internet programming with Cro- Rooster Teeth and Crunchyroll. Th- this is this is a lot. This is a lot to look at. And and when they announced it, I definitely rolled my eyes, thinking, "Oh, great, another streaming service." But there's some big names in here. There's a lot of properties. The one that's uh, specifically mentioned here is Friends will be on this service. Like that's nothing to scoff at. That was a big deal when Netflix got that. Like Friends is a big deal, and that's one of hundreds of series and properties that that may be available on HBO Max. What is this thing supposed to cost exactly? So that was not mentioned in the press release. However, going from HBO Now, which is $15 a month, um, we know this will be a more premium uh, kind of service. So they're looking at 17 to 18 or maybe as high as 25. Uh, We don't really know, but it is going to be on the upper end of things. I, (laughs) we talked about this before the show. You know, I'm I'm skeptical, right? One twenty five dollars for a streaming service seems like a lot, and that's again skepticism. We don't actually know. It could be thirty for all we know. Two people have a lot of streaming services. Like we're already spread pretty thin, and I know this is something that you might be able to ta- just tack onto HBO. But the fact is, I think people may not jump onto this. You you would mention that, right? Yeah, I'm I'm starting to feel pretty streamed out. I am going to be looking to cut things, and if I do get a different service, I'm going to be cutting a different service. Um, for instance, I fully um, am prepared to jump on Disney Plus at the expense of Netflix. Which is crazy to me. You're going to get rid of Netflix. Well, what will happen to our show off script? I don't know. Cinema? Yeah. We'll, we'll move our things to Disney Plus. <laughs> I'll add it back after a month. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, I, I, I was just saying before we got started, I'm thinking about cutting Hulu. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, I kind of have too many. I can't watch them all at once. Um I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what this will do when Apple streaming service comes out, Apple Plus and all the others. But for what it's worth, this one seems like something to keep your eye on. This will probably be what HBO streaming becomes, right? They'll try to funnel people into HBO Max. So, Right, exactly. It yeah, it'll be interesting to see what if you have an HBO Now or HBO Go subscri- subscription, what that will, how this will affect that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I have one, so keep it on. I think you do too. Yeah, so keep it on yes. off script. And we'll I, do na- I, do, I, do, I do now. It's a sore right. subject. <laughs> yes, right. You're not using, using mine anymore without me knowing. Uh, let's move into our first film of the podcast. And you've graciously agreed to take the summary for this. Please take it away. Spider-Man Far From Home. You gonna be the next Iron Man now? Well, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing your jobs. What? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Look, keep up the good work. Because I am going on vacation. So Spider-Man Far From Home picks up uh, after the events of Endgame, but it's also the sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming, and it's also the epilogue of, well, we said Endgame, but also the very final film in Phase 3 of the Marvel Universe. So there's a whole lot writing on this movie. Um, This movie has to do a lot of things. And it does it pretty well. Our story is we catch up with Peter Parker and all his friends, Mary Jane and, oh, I can't remember his, uh, Jacob Batalon. Ned? 
Ned. 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 I think that's right. I remember the actor, not the name. <laughs> yeah. Um, Goofy, lovable sidekick. Yeah. So Spider-Man feels like he needs a break. He's been, you know, the events of Endgame have happened. Uh, Tony Stark is dead and gone. And he f- is really feeling that loss. And he wants to get away. He wants to put down the cape and the cowl for a while. And just spend time with his friends. They're good. They have this trip planned to Europe. And he wants to go and romance Mary Jane and tells her how he feels about her and just leave the superhero stuff behind. But he can't because he's Spider-Man and Nick Fury is on his tail to get him to either step up and lead the Avengers or be or still stay involved. In the meantime, we see the appearance of a mysterious hero um, named Quentin Beck played brilliantly by Jake Gyllenhaal who looks like he could be the one to take up the mantle of Tony Stark. Um, so that's our setup. Zach, what do you think? You know, I, I'm going to be honest, I really struggled with the first third of this movie, what you'd commonly refer to as the first act. Trying to pick up the pieces after Avengers Endgame felt clumsy. It just did. Like, they tried to explain a lot that I felt like almost didn't need to be explained. I kind of just wanted a fun Spider-Man romp, and like, you get into this movie and you remember, oh yeah, they have to explain things that happened in Endgame, and that's like 23 films of plot and lore, so they got to kind of tack that into a high school romance story and and that felt a little clumsy but things get rolling by the middle and towards the end of the film you feel like you're watching a good old-fashioned spider-man film i liked it a lot it took me a while to come around on it (laughs) but i'm into it and i want to talk about why what did you think of spider-man far from home i really liked it as well what marvel has done so well is focus on their characters and their kind of internal and personal struggles and that's what we get here as well we we have several conflicts we have Peter dealing with the death of Tony Stark, but also the struggle of does he want to continue to be a superhero? Does he does he want to keep putting himself on the line or putting his family and friends in danger? At the same time, he's a t- teenager dealing with awkward teenage feelings and not knowing how to express himself, not knowing how to act around the, the girl he likes. Um, and at the same time, you know, there he's has this void of of not having a father figure, of which Quentin Beck somewhat. Uh, kind of feels like like he is that a, a little bit in the front. Um, so I really like the the kind of in t- the personal drama we got, the internal conflict, and then of course we get uh, we get a lot of humor, we get a lot of good quips, we get really good action, uh, a lot of special effects, all that stuff that we've known uh, Marvel uh, Marvel to do. Um, and yeah, I thought it was a, a really good film, and it really wraps up the end of, of Phase Three really nicely. So I think it's going to be challenging to talk about a lot of the, well, a bit of the plot in this movie because Agreed. it kind of, yeah, it, it like I said, it builds on a lot of the plot and lore of the previous Marvel films and game included. Um, so I don't really know the best way to get into that. But for now, let's start with the things that aren't necessarily directly Endgame related, right? Peter Parker, fish out of water. He's in Europe. He doesn't have his spider suit. He's trying not to be a superhero, and Nick Fury is trying to hunt him down for a mission, and he's like, I just want to go romance this girl and do my thing and be a teenager. Leave me alone. Kind of funny. Bit of a screwball comedy in some in some yeah. elements, in some parts. Like, there's some goofy kind of... Um, ultimately good. Uh, what did you... What I mean, what did you think of that? Um, like I said, I, I like that the movie was much smaller in scale. You know, we're dealing with Spider-Man and his friends and his family and his relationships to the Avengers and other people. And we get this this interesting character in uh, Quentin Beck, uh, which reminded me a lot of Jake Gyllenhaal's same character in Nightcrawler, uh, Louis Bloom, who's uh, like 
maybe too charming to be be trusted um too good to be true um in, in a way and and i don't know how much this is uh i'm gonna tiptoe around this because um <laughs> the the main his character there, there's a lot about him and if you if you're familiar with if you're familiar with his character from the comics then you're gonna know certain things and if you're not then you're not well, we get- I, I i will i will say that um yeah illusions and things not being what they seem is a big theme in this film. Yes. Um, and, and what is, you know, it's about questioning kind of what's presented to you or what you see and kind of thinking through these things. And there's a really great, great line kind of towards the end of the film when, uh, someone says, uh, people need to believe. And so they will believe anything. And that's, that's a whole theme that goes through the, through the film, this thing of deception and kind of misinformation, which is very, culturally and politically relevant at at this moment and applies a lot to peter who's trying to lead this double life he's trying to tell nick fury yeah yeah yeah, i'll help you out with this mission thing you got it uh and he's also trying to tell his friends no i'm not spider-man i'm i'm normal peter parker and everything's fine you know and he's trying to juggle those two things there's a little bit of a i don't know duality there with, with with this other character quentin beck who's from this alternate dimension and what he's got going on and uh i think I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I wish the illusion had been played up a little bit more as far as like, I don't know, over, our overarching theme goes, but you do get some really cool scenes with it, right? You see them in the trailer, these scenes with these giant water monsters and smoke monsters. And then there's some extended like illusion kind of Dr. Strange esque montage stuff going on where like the screen warps and like cool things happen. That was all super rad. The effects hold up just like any other Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the like I said, the 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 whole illusion thing. I don't want to get into that too much because it's it's a really cool part of the thing. But there there yeah, are, yeah, it yeah. makes for some really some really cool scenes, some cool fight scenes, some other set pieces, um, and and poses a challenge uh, for our our main heroes because they get they get into a situation where they can't trust what they see and hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. Um... I think I think picking up after the events of, of of Endgame is is tough for this movie. It's a tough thing to carry, right? Because yeah. yeah, this movie is trying to be two things. It's trying to, on the one hand, be a fun Spider-Man movie, and the second in this new Spider-Man series, it's also trying to cap off the end of a ton of events of the previous film. It, it's trying to explain things that happen and set up a little bit for what's to come next. It's tough. I mean, when the when the first trailer came out for this movie, it opened with Tom Holland explaining, if you hadn't seen Endgame, don't watch the trailer because the spoilers in it. Like, that's the line this movie has to walk. Yeah. I think I think that kind of hurts it a little bit. I, I almost wish it had been simpler. That's just me. What did you think about that? I didn't mind it. I thought it, it made for some really good co- uh, comedic elements of because uh, we get these... You know, news footage of like people being like just brought pop back into existence, um, right? Which, which right. is good, which is good for some laughs, and there's there's just a lot of laughs from that, and they call it the blip, and you either have right. been blipped or you haven't. Referring to when people in Endgame disappeared for like five years and then came back, and and that's called the blip. Now they they try to explain that in in terms of like high school kids and how some of them vanished and others didn't. So some have to just go right back to school and others are now five years older. Like it, it, it kind of jumps the shark a little bit for me. Like, it's just hard for me to stay to, to feel like, okay, this is possibly real life. Like, I, I, I don't know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about the characters. All right. Okay. Let's talk about Peter. Let's talk about MJ. Let's talk about Ned and may 
You've got uh, a couple characters from Iron Man, Nick Fury in here. I thought everybody was played pretty well. I, I, I struggled a little bit with this, the sidekick, Ned. He was a little bit tough for me, fun in places. Uh, MJ, played by Zendaya, and Peter Parker, played by Tom Holland, I thought were both great, yeah. fantastic. Uh, Samuel Jackson, is I feel like he's actually really going for it in these movies now. I feel like he's not just phoning it in. Like, he actually yeah. is going to play his character well. I, I enjoyed everybody in it. Yeah. Uh, what would you think? Um, yeah, I thought Tom Holland was great. He he really captures that, that uh, awkward teenage... Uh, doesn't know how to act or say, and you know, considering he's in his twenties, it's it's uh, it's funny to see him do it and pull it off pre- uh, convincingly. Uh, Zendaya is, I really like her take on MJ because <laughs> she's essentially like really dark. She's like gothic without looking gothic. Like she's very morbid and has a really dark sense of humor and is always kind of like roasting uh, Peter and uh, Ned. Uh, for being dorks um there's a lot of fun there and there's this really pretty funny subplot with ned and uh where he sits next to the girl on a plane and they kind of be you know on they they get on the plane not knowing each other they get off the plane boyfriend and girlfriend so it's that's a whole subplot that that's really pretty funny right now something that is different uh i i did watch uh the first spider-man homecoming spider-man homecoming i guess i watched that yesterday uh, before i watched this one because i hadn't seen it christine watched it with me this one is a little bit at odds with the former movie because in the last spider-man movie he's trying to be an avenger i i don't want to do this stupid high school stuff i'm out i want to be an avenger and also i'm interested in this girl named liz and that movie goes through, Liz kind of goes off and does her own thing, but then suddenly in this movie, he's all about this MJ character. There's really no, I, I don't remember a bit where, where he was just like, hmm, I think I'm going to pursue this girl now. Doesn't really happen. And maybe that's just high school, maybe that's just fun, but um, it, he, he's just he's just different from from the last Spider-Man movie. Uh, events of Avengers included in that, I guess. I, guess, I suppose that changes the Spider-Man, so... Mm-hmm. You know, something to watch out for. But everybody else felt pretty, felt pretty good. It was just a lot of fun. The action was great. Like I said, uh, the CGI was good. Uh, it was funny. I laughed more than a few times in the movie. Um, Spider-Man Far From Home, yeah, not so bad, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Are you ready for, like, formal recommendations? I am. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Spider-Man Far From Home? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a good uh, sequel to... Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. It's a good epilogue to the events of Endgame. And again, this is the official end of Phase 3 of Marvel. So we'll see kind of what um, comes next. Uh, Good performances, good action, uh, great visuals, good performances by uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, of course, is uh, Quentin Beck. Um, And some other surprises. Uh, Make sure you stay tuned for the uh, two uh, post-credit scenes. Yes, uh, I'd say I'm in the same boat. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you'll laugh. You know, it's it does kind of feel like you have to have seen the other Marvel films to get this one. But I think the setup at the beginning is probably enough for you to really understand. If you've seen the first Spider-Man, I think that would help. But ultimately, you could probably go in fresh on this one. Uh, the kids act like high school kids. They're awkward and they're clumsy. And Peter Parker makes some foolish decisions. And you'll probably roll your eyes, but they're high school kids. So it doesn't feel that far out of place. The action is good. The humor is funny. It's a little long in the tooth at like two hours, nine minutes. But make sure you stick around for those post credit scenes. They're very important. We can't talk about them because they're spoilers. But yeah, if you're going to watch it, do that. And otherwise, Spider-Man, probably worth your time. Worth the price of admission, I think. 
And with that, we should talk about our next segment. We haven't done this in a while, so I'm That's excited right. to get into it. Do we have a formal name for this? Have we ever actually branded this? Anything? <laughs> no, we're doing our next uh, three-month preview. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go just week by week and hit some of the hits that are coming out. I'm excited to talk about the, about what's coming out of the theater because if you don't remember, June has been a mess. There was like almost nothing good coming out. We had to go see Art House, go see The Shining 4K, and we had to dig deep to come up with stuff on this show. <laughs> so finally, right. we're going to have some hits, some summer blockbusters that we're excited to talk about. And they're not all sequels either. Andy, you want to take the first week, and I'll take the next one. What do you want to do here? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Uh, and this is going to tie into what we're going to see. But uh, the big releases this week are Stuber, uh, which is the comedy starring Camille Nanjiani and Dave Bautista. Um, we also have The Farewell, which we saw last month at the Oak Cliff Film Festival. Uh, the Farewell will be opening wide uh, this month. We won't be reviewing it because we've already seen it last week. Um, also in limited release is The Art of Self-Defense, which is the uh, kind of dark indie comedy starring uh, Jesse Eisenberg, which looks like a whole lot of fun. Right. Uh, Stuber is a comedy about an Uber driver who is Pakistani, uh, who ends up picking up a, a giant shredded cop and having to drive him around, kind of like a spin on, what is that Michael Mann movie? Uh, uh, collateral. Collateral, that's it. Yeah, With okay, fine. Nobody's going to get that reference. Uh, the Farewell was great. We talked about it last month. You should check out that review. A little bit like Crazy Rich Asians, but sad. Uh, and The Art of Self-Defense is limited release, and I really want to see it, but it turns out we live in a big city, and it's only going to be around for like one showing on one night this week, so we'll we'll see it eventually, I guess, when it comes to wide release. Uh, Andy, any hot takes on these, I guess? Or should I just move right along? <laughs> we got a lot to go through, so I think we, we, can, a lot we to go can go. That's right. Okay. July 19th, midway through July, there's one big movie coming out, and that movie is Disney's The Lion King, the live-action Live action, all CGI uh, remake of the Disney classic is looking to be very sharp. Donald Glover as the main character. Beyonce's in it. Seth Rogen's in it. Uh, there's, there's a lot of cool people in it. It's going to be the Lion King again. What's not to love? Yeah, I think the, I think it'll be okay. It's going to make a ton of money. Like mm. Aladdin was okay, and it made a ton of money. The Lion King is going to be even more um, successful. Yes. I think moving on in the last week in July, we have once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, Quentin Tarantino's, I'm not sure what, it, <laughs> what it is, uh, throwback to the 1960s, uh, which centers around, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio as a waning film star and Brad Pitt as his stunt double, along with, uh, the brilliant Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, who's of course was murdered by Charles Manson and his cult. And so all that gets thrown in and played into this uh, Tarantino's next film. So I'm excited to see what that's going to be about. It will probably be three hours. There will be a lot of gore and somebody white will probably say the N-word. Quentin Tarantino, everybody. Uh, the first week of August, there's going to be two big ones coming out. A movie called Them That Follow that is a southern mystery, kind of, involving a pastor played by Walton Goggins who believes in snakes that he's uh, using his sermons to cleanse people of whatever and something that happens with his daughter. I, I know that's 
from the trailer. And the other thing is a movie called Hobbs and Shaw, which appears to be a Fast and Furious film. It's Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. It stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Hobbs. It stars Jason Statham as Shaw. And these two giant muscled men buddy up in the ultimate buddy cop film to take down some kind of heist that's global and race cars, <laughs> I guess. It looks it looks like the, the biggest muscle head action movie you've ever seen in your whole life. It it looks like the Expendables on steroids. It looks like Grand Theft Auto on screen. Like the the trailers I've seen, I just when I think they can't get any more ridiculous, they do. They're, yeah. they're like they just go more and more over the top, and mm. I can only imagine what's actually in in the film. So I'm actually really excited to see that because of just how ridiculous and over the top it is. I'm not. I'm not excited. <laughs> um, following. Uh, the next week in August, there's not a, a whole... August is a weird month because the beginning of August, I feel, is kind of strong, and then the end is just like <laughs> where the hot trash starts showing up. You're explaining why you have... This is the last week we're going to talk about in August. <laughs> yeah. So then August 9th is uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is, uh, of course, based on the, the classic book by... I can't remember, <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's going to be uh, several... Uh, Scary stories. This is t- horror, but it's teen horror. It's got a PG-13 rating, so you know it's not going to any- be anything too gory. Too gory. It doesn't mean it's not going to be any less scary. Um, the, t- the third trailer I've seen for it uh, has kind of got me interested, so uh, we may or may not do that on this show. I'm relatively interested in this one. If you're thinking, uh, Andy said the classic book, Scary Stories Still in the Dark, and I don't know that. It was actually a children's book in kind of the 90s and early 2000s. I remember it from when I was a kid. Christine remembers it. Andy, I don't know if you ever came across Scary Stories. No? I do. Uh, you do, yeah. Uh, kind of, kind of a horrifying little book. These really chilling black and white photos in there, and illustrations, and just kind of these little creepy stories. Somebody's decided to turn these into a montage horror film. That's what that is. If you don't know it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about the scary stories still in the dark. And speaking of scary, we're going to jump all the way from August 9th to September 6th because nothing good happens in August. <laughs> uh, and on September 6th, we're going to get It Chapter 2, the sequel to last year's It. I know what you're thinking. That was only supposed to be one movie. But no, if you saw it, they end it and they're like, we're going to do the other half of the story. This is the other half of Stephen King's original story when the kids from Derry are now grown up 30 years later and we visit their hometown and have to face off against Pennywise the Clown once again. It's adult actors in this one. They're, they're, they're now adult versions of the child actors that were in the last one. Uh, tentatively excited. It could be neat. I, I like the first one. Who knows? What do you think? I'm, I'm really excited for it. I really liked the first It. Um, I saw it a couple of times in the theater. It was properly scary and had a good kind of adventure story as well and good, you know, themes. And that's what, good, as we always talk and we'll talk about later, good horror has a lot going on uh, under the hood. It's not just about scares. And It Chapter 1 had that, and I expect uh, kind of the same from this one. Uh, not too much else in September, and also we're unsure of, of dates this far out as well. Um, but at, at towards the end of September, we have the uh, Downton Abbey movie, which I'm not interested at all, but some, some of our fans might be. Um, Rambo, Last Blood, uh, Horses in the Back with, <laughs> with Sylvester Stallone. Mm, old Town Road. And um, the uh, space epic with Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones uh, called Ad Astra. 
Uh, my mom is going to be a big fan of the Downton Abbey film. I've never seen a single episode. She's seen all of them twice, so she'll be all about that. Maybe I can ask her about it and see what she thinks. Uh, Rambo Last Blood. Uh, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone is 110. <laughs> and he's, yeah, and he's defending to the death his old house in the most get-off-my-lawn picture you've ever seen in your whole, whole life. Uh, I'm... I guess that'll be neat. I, I don't know. And Ad Astra, I'm I'm I'm, ten, I'm hesitant to call it a space epic only because I don't know if it's epic yet. I've I've seen two tra- a trailer and I guess it looks That's cool, true. but it keeps getting pushed back. And I don't know what it's about, so we'll probably check it out because if it looks like anything, it looks like bold cinema. And we're all about that <laughs> on this show. I think that's it for our Ju- for our summer movie preview, uh, July through September. At the end of September, we'll probably swing back around and do some more of these. They, people seem to like them, so that's the way it is. And keep it here on off script to hear more about each of these movies as we see them. Just an idea of what we're going to be doing on the show. And our final film of the episode we need to talk about. Uh, I am taking the summary on this one. I'm not going to do a great job, so stick with me. It's a little complex. The film is Ari Aster's Midsummer. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. So Midsummer is the story of four anthropology majors and one long-begotten girlfriend uh, who, who, who journey together to Sweden for a summer festival with a very, very small group of people in a, in a town very far removed from society, kind of an ancient group of people who wear all white and flower crowns, and every summer they get together and celebrate the harvest and, 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 and sacrifice a deer or whatever. These kids go out there to have a good time and see what it's all about, uh, things start to get weird, then they start to go wrong, similar to something like The Wicker Man. Uh, Midsummer is, is a story about a increasingly violent uh, and, and oddly bizarre competition at the hands of what we soon find out to be is a cult. Uh, the movie is two hours and 27 minutes. It is a follow-up spiritual successor, I should say, to last year's Hereditary. If you saw that film, we loved it on this show. Andy, what did you think of Midsummer? So this is going to be really interesting. I didn't really know what to think initially. Um, it took me a long time to process. It was one of those films. But the f- longer I get away from it, the more I think about it. Um, I absolutely loved it. And I think it is one of the best films of 2019. Um, it is Well, it's not scary. It is r- profoundly disturbing. But it's a lot of things. It's not so much a horror movie as it's it's a movie about breakups. It's a movie. It's a black comedy. It's a bit of a fairy tale. Uh, it's a bit of a, a drug trip. I mean, there's so many things going on and that we see visually and lots of underlying themes that it's just it's a lot to unpack. And I loved it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really liked it a lot as well. I'm going to be honest. I, I went in with the wrong expectations. I think I saw Hereditary, and I couldn't wait to see more from this very new director who had just put out this first film that was really good. This is his second one, Midsummer is. And I think I expected things I shouldn't have. I, I wanted to see more drama and, and, and more kind of long, thought-out plots. And ultimately, Midsummer is a movie with a simple plot, but is told in a very complex way that makes it really interesting and special. Um, I wanted something more complex and that disappointed me, but that doesn't make this not a good movie. And I want to talk about what worked and why ultimately I think I've come around and I'm really into this movie. So 
Where do we start with Midsummer? I suppose we start with the plot, right? Let's yeah. get, let's get started at the beginning. Yep. Okay, so we have uh, we meet Danny, who's in this um, kind of end of a relationship with uh, Jack Rayner's character uh, named Christian, and. Uh, it's a very codependent relationship. She's always kind of calling him, blowing up his phone. He, you can tell he is tired of it. His friends say, look, this, this chick needs a therapist. She needs, uh, you need to go ahead and break up with her, get it over with, like move on. Um, and then uh, she suffers a tragedy at the beginning of the film and he feels like he cannot, um, you know, that's not the, not the right time to break up with her. And then the, they, she finds out about this trip that they're going to take to Sweden to study this festival and um, inadvertently kind of hitches along. Say, oh, that that sounds fun. I think I'd like I'd like to go to that. Her friends or his friends kind of uh, reluctantly say, okay, yeah, you can come. <laughs> right. And that kind of sets us up. So we have this really kind of awkward relationship that's very toxic, and we know that uh, from the beginning. And we have this uh, theme of family that that rises out of the first act, and that's something that's going to be important uh, through the rest of the film. Yeah, I think something that's a stay over from Hereditary, Ari Aster seems to be very good at writing uh, broken relationships. Uh, this whole movie, these two these two characters, this boyfriend and girlfriend, who are our main characters, you, you watch them bounce off each other, and sometimes it's just so awkward and strained, and like you can just see from a mile away these two shouldn't be together. In fact, the three other friends, the guy's three other friends, the other anthropology majors that go out there to the festival with them, they're talking about it the whole time. Like, you guys, this doesn't work. You should you should break up. This is not... You're awkward, and you bring out the worst to each other, and they totally do. But these two people don't have any good reason to break up. They don't have anything else to go to. All they kind of have is each other. So they just kind of tolerate each other in the worst way. And, like, it's uncomfortable, and it just, like, it makes me want to give somebody a hug watching it because it just it just feels awful. And that's something that is a staple in a movie like this. Like, it's part of the experience, that feeling of, of dread and hopelessness that really does tie into the whole movie. That's a part of the horror, and it gets built upon later. And I think the three friends... They're fun. You know, they're, they're kind of goofy. They're these anthropology majors who are hanging out and getting stoned and talking about writing their thesis statements or whatever about this Swedish festival. That's really what gets them out there, right? That gets them on the road to go out to Sweden and go do their thing. Now, what about when we get there, Andy? <laughs> right. Um, yes. Geez. So when we, we get there, we see there's a lot of pageantry. There's, um, you know, first of all, it's very bright white. Um, it's the the land of the midnight sun, kind of. It's light, twenty twenty two hours a day. Everyone is dressed in in white. Everyone is incredibly f- friendly. Everyone is what light skin. Very uh, very bl- unique horror film that way. Always sunny, always white. Right, all, sunny all the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, th- they meet this kind of communal family, and they begin to learn about them. They learn that they you know have lots of different traditions. Uh, they drink a lot of natural stuff which has hallucinogenic properties which becomes a whole thing in the, in the film um they all kind of you learn they all sleep in one like giant house uh that where there's like you know 30 40 beds uh, where they all kind of commune um together and they kind of prepare for a, a week of festivities yeah and and this this 
like group of people out here. I mean, they make it. They try to make it very clear they're essentially like ancient. They're writing runes on things, and like when you go into one of these rooms and in, in one of these houses, right, or even just the architecture in general, like it's so like archaic and old and fascinating. Like the the shapes of these buildings and the looks of things are just so odd. But the people walking around are all smiling and normal and most of them speak English. So like it's this odd feeling of like, yeah, this is kind of feel normal, but it but it really sets off that fight or flight response. It gives you that creepy feeling that just hangs over the whole movie. Do you get anything like that? Yeah, it, it's just it's so much of everyone's like a little bit too nice to be trusted, you know, and that like there's food and there's bedding. Everyone's like, you know, singing, dancing, wearing white children are playing. It's, and you know where it's going, you know, from where, from the trailer where the film is, is going to kind of end up. Um, and it's, it's all, uh, kind of disconcerting because of that. Um, which kind of leads me in, into, into the next area, how it looks, the cinematography in this film is, is really brilliant. Um, we get, uh, while the film is mostly in light and very bright, there is a lot of darkness, and that's part of what makes the light parts interesting is that you, you have moments of where things are very dark, particularly in the bit beginning of the film. Um, but also, as I said, they they do a lot of kind of hallucin- hallucinogenic drugs in the film, and they illustrate that for the, the viewer, where you'll have things on screen waving and kind of moving around, and there's a part where Florence Pugh looks down, and there's grass growing through her hand, and it's just these really odd scenes um, that, that put you into their mentality. And this happens throughout the whole film, and it is really brilliant. And I, and I watched a short... Um, kind of scene dissection with Ari Aster where he talked about they had to really be careful and, and kind of change how intense that effect was and wasn't depending on what was happening on screen. But it's, it's, I've never really seen anything like it. Um, and it's part of what really makes this brilliant. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. This movie is shot gorgeously. It is a masterclass in how to shoot a film. There, there's so many creative shots. There's so many, Long takes. I mean, there there is a scene early in the film where where our main characters, Danny and Christian, get in an argument, and they argue on screen for like three minutes, and it doesn't cut. It's one like three minute take of these two actors bouncing off each other, and it works great. Like you're not you're not you're not you're not taken out of the movie, and no point does one of them feel clumsy. Like they're 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 so acutely directed, and their their lines are written so well and it's shot so well. Like it's really immersive, and it really pulls you into the world of the film which only makes the horror and the dread and the despair that much worse. Now, it's worth mentioning, I don't think this movie has any jump scares, but my God, I was just, I was dreading the whole movie because it's <laughs> like you said, you know, like when you see the trailer, you know, a group of five white kids goes out to the middle of nowhere and hangs out with a cult and it's a horror movie. You know where it's going. We all know. We all know. <laughs> we don't have to talk about it. Like we, you just know. Right now, you're already thinking, I know where that's going. And that's okay. But like it for a two and a half hour movie, it's an hour before they even get out there to yeah. the woods. Like, or I think, yeah, at least an hour till something real, real kind of creepy or weird happens. It is such a slow burn, and that doesn't make it bad because it's such a pretty film. But it it makes it just feel like you're just tense in your seat the whole time, like just waiting for the bad to happen, and then it starts to, and then things start happening. Um, <laughs> can we can we talk about that at all? I mean, can we? Uh, well, a, a little bit. What what I will say is that again, we know that. A lot of people probably aren't going to survive this trip. And there's some things that you know what's going to happen 
and you know exactly. And when it does, you're not prepared for it. Like, and that's the brilliance of, of the director Ari Aster, where even knowing what's cap what's happening, it's still horrific when it does. And there's also. Uh, there's so much dread that happens off screen, and this is another brilliant technique. I think there, there's sounds, there's screams, there's yells, there's just a character will disappear, and then we kind of see them later, and we know that something will have happened in between. And so you have to really pay attention to what's happening off screen and what's happening in between scenes to kind of piece it all all together. And, it, and it's a great example of not handholding the audience. Yeah, and and you're right. A lot of a lot of things do seem to happen off screen. You'll hear a noise, or somebody will say, "Oh, I'm going to do this," and disappear for a chunk of the movie. Um, I, I don't. I never really found that distracting because this movie really does just kind of like snowball you into a sense of security that our characters have. By the time you get to the end, you're, you're like you you know something's wrong, but like you can't quite put your finger on it until it's too late, and like then then you know. But then we're already on our way. Like, it's, I'm doing a really poor job of talking about this. The point is, is it builds up in a really captivating way that I don't see horror movies doing nowadays. Like, we just went and saw a Child's Play last week. It was terrible. And I, I wish it had, it had done half the things this movie does. It's just a different kind of horror film. And mm-hmm. you got to know that going in to enjoy it. But I think it's still super enjoyable regardless. Uh, we should talk about performances or we should talk about gore. Which one do you want to? Uh, we'll start with... <laughs> Jeez, we'll start start with uh, performances. Okay. Um, so Florence Pugh as Danny, the, she's the main character who is going through this, uh, not breakup, kind of pre-breakup, um, and suffers the family tragedy at the be- at the beginning. Uh, she's brilliant. She has to carry a lot of the movie, and there are these brilliant long shots where the camera will just rest on her face. Well, she'll, she'll have to go through a whole conversation, and she'll have to go through a whole range of emotions, in that conversation and it, she just uh, does it so brilliantly. She has to go through so much as, as an actor and she has to really carry a lot of the music uh, m- movie herself. And, and she's just, she's brilliant. Yeah. I, everybody is. Uh, you've got Will Poulter as one of the, one of the side characters. Uh, he's very charming as what he described in an interview as the very essence of mass uh, toxic masculinity. He is, uh, yeah. he's, he's, he's kind of, he's kind of a dick to be fair. Uh, you know, these three, these three, buddy buddy friends dude dude bros that are going out there definitely under the impression that we're going to go to sweden and we're going to meet a lot of cool girls so that's kind of their whole mo on the side at least a couple of them uh you've got i don't remember his name from uh the good place uh our, our kind of token black character who in a very nice turn in no way is ever addressed racially in the film he just happens to be black mm-hmm. which is very charming and i wish more movies did that nobody's like hey that's a black guy like it never happens he's just a normal dude i just don't remember his name so now i'm being the one it's <laughs> so uh, william the horrible ja- identifier yeah uh, thank you andy william jackson harper Jack Rayner's pretty good as Christian, our kind of uh, lead. I-, I was a little distracted by him, but ultimately did okay. And Florence Pugh as Danny was my favorite performance of all of it. She was tremendous. This is the best performance I've ever seen out of her. Uh, it's probably the best performance I'll see out of her for a while because mm-hmm. Ari Aster just seems really good at directing women in despair. So, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I was going to comment on Jack Rayner as her boyfriend Christian. Does a really good job of making you hate him because he is a real jerk. In this, uh, and he he gaslights her constantly throughout the film, and and his friends, um, which is <clears throat> kind of a, a theme because that starts to happen to them by the cult when they're there as well. So that's that's another one of the, the many themes in the film. So you wanted to move on to you wanted to talk about the gore. 
Yeah, uh, I, I did. Um, this movie does not shy away from the gore. Uh, if you're thinking, hmm, gore, I don't like that word. This movie's not for you. Uh, it's 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 practical. And it's heavy, practical on, heavy on the body horror. Yes, it is heavy on the body horror. People die. It happens on screen. It's usually pretty horrifying. So that's kind of the name of the game, just so you know what you're getting into. It's not, you know, like, while we talk about, oh, a lot of things happen off screen. A lot of things happen on screen, so watch out. And other things are happening on screen. At Ari Aster lore, we're going to talk about that. Like, he builds up this community to be thousands of years old, and, like, it feels like it's thousands of years old. There's all these paintings on the wall and figurines and traditions and runes, and everybody speaks this language. Like, it really does feel a little bit like you just got dropped out in the middle of Sweden and found this group of people. Like, it, it does feel fairly genuine for being shot in Hungary and being just a bunch of extras they had. Like, it really it really, it really comes around. What do you think about that? Yeah, he, he builds the, uh, the, the world and the culture of this, um, this small hamlet village um commune really well where there's you know they have elaborate clothes they have elaborate again these really elaborate murals like you mentioned painted all inside all of their buildings i mean that must have taken hundreds of hours to i mean because someone had to paint those sets and and they look good and they look uh convincing and you know they kind of do farming and make linens and do other things to to be self-sustainable um and again have this feel and look of of being this commune in cold because you have uh, people that are very old and people that are very young and everyone in between. I think the last thing we should probably talk about this movie is just the themes, right? Uh-huh. Cause that's the thing uh, in hereditary, a big, a big core theme was despair and guilt and grief and how you handle that with a family. Ari Aster said this movie is about a breakup. Um, what, what, what do you think? What, what, what's going on here? Um, so it's definitely a, uh, again, about the kind of final deterioration of the relationship between um, Danny and Christian. But there's a lot of other things going on. Um, it's definitely about family. It's uh, uh, about um, kind of appearances. There's this whole mirror thing theme that I haven't quite figured out. This There's a certain duality that's going on. There's a thing about air and breathing and like life, which I have, I have no idea what this means yet, but there's this whole like... Whew, this air thing that they all the villagers kind of do, and that is also we see this in the beginning of the film and kind of just throughout. And it, I think it's a very important thing, and it means something, and I don't actually know what. And that's I, it's another just I think it's a brilliant thing that it's not spoon fed to you. It makes you really think. Um, but ultimately, it's about family and support and grief, which are themes that he's kind of dealt with in uh, Hereditary as well. Yeah, I agree, and 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 I I think I'm still trying to unpack a bit of that. In my head, because I don't really know, like, I don't know. There's just a lot there. There's there's a lot that's not explained. This is a movie I, I described the other day when I was talking about it. I said this movie is kind of like Hansel and Gretel, right? It just drops breadcrumbs and just leads you deeper into the forest. And you just, it just, you get closer to the witch's house, whether you like it or not. And that's what this feels like. And you walk away from it at the end of the movie thinking, wait, what was that about? What did that have to do with anything? And I think it encourages discussion. It encourages you to think about it. It's a deeper film. As one would say, it might be bold cinema. I mean, Andy and I got home and we were and and and, and I hit you up and was like, we got to talk about this movie and you got to tell me what you thought about this and it's hard not to and I think that's part of the fun of the picture. If you have other people to go see it with, it'll really give you something to kind of uh, chew on around the water cooler. Yeah, um, like you said, there with the breadcrumbs, there are there is lots of foreshadowing. There is lots of hints of things to come. Mostly all horrific, but they're they're very they're well hidden and you have to really be paying attention. And I, and this definitely requires 
two viewings and I think probably more. I mean, I think this is a classic and I think every time you watch it, you're going to find something else in it. I think it was so gory and horrifying. I probably won't ever watch it again, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but it is, it is, it is really well made for what it is. Like it's not just a, a, you know, a grindhouse picture. Like it's not just awful things happening all the time. Like there really is a feeling of like, hopelessness and despair in it that like is is tangible and I, I i don't i haven't felt that in a long time in a movie theater so should we move on to recommendations we should andy would you recommend midsummer absolutely with some content warnings which i'll get to in in a second but uh absolutely this is the definition of bold cinema this is a new <laughs> entry into the horror thriller genre we see some that I, I haven't ever seen before. We have great performances, d- a really deep film, very complex, lots of themes, things on the surface, things below the surface. Um, it, it, it was a, a great film and a journey, and you're going to have to see it multiple times to, to really understand it. Um, that being said, it is incredibly violent and incredibly gory, and um, there are, you know, particularly tragedy at the beginning. Um, you might want to look that up. Uh, if, if you're a little squeamish, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but overall, um, absolutely recommend. This is like the most mixed bag review we've ever given out. It's great <laughs> and horrifying and good. And I don't want to watch it again. Uh, no, I, I really like this movie. Like I said, I, I went in with the wrong attitude. I think it's, it's not your normal horror movie. You got to go in real open-minded. Like don't, don't just think, you know what this movie's about, even with this review in hand. Uh, it's, it's, it's different. There's a lot we didn't explain in this interview in in, in this review that that you'll you'll find, yeah. Trigger warnings, a little bit, little little violent, little bit, little yeah. little little violent, yeah. Uh, and 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 man, like I said, there there's nobody who can seemingly get that feeling of despair down, like Ari Aster can. Uh, I'm excited to see what this kid does next. This was his second film. Uh, whatever his third one's be is, I will be at the theater for it. Midsummer, uh, consume at your own risk. I guess that's the formal review and with that i think that about wraps our show for this week next week we're going to be taking a look at stuber we mentioned it in our middle segment there that's that movie about the um i shouldn't say pakistani middle eastern i don't actually know if he's pakistani i say I that because i think i think i think kumal nanjani who plays him is pakistani but i don't want to generalize uh, that's where he picks up a, a giant cop uh, played by Dave Batista from Guardians of the Galaxy and drives him around. So it's kind of a comedy film. We're also going to take a look at Under the Silver Lake on <laughs> Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, you can join us at no cost in checking this movie out. But a fair warning, we've heard very, very mixed reviews about Under the Silver Lake. Andy, how did you describe it earlier? You said it was a mix between what and what? I've I've heard that it is uh, a brilliant indie and steaming hot garbage. So, <laughs> steaming hot garbage. Yes, uh, you heard it here first, folks. We're gonna check that out. We'll see what it's about. It may not be worth your time, but who knows? You might be surprised. I'm hoping for one of those split reviews where Andy loves it and I hate it. Those are the best episodes we ever do, so we'll see how those turn out. But next week, Stuber and Under the Silver Lake. If you want to get involved with the show or let us know what you thought, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter, so hit us up over there, too, and throw us a follow if you can. But the most important thing you can do of all of this is just subscribe. 
subscribe to the podcast and maybe uh, tell a friend about it or, or rate and review it or say, hey, I listen to this goofy movie podcast and these guys said this. I don't know, but thanks for listening and we appreciate it from all of us here at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.